I'm Grace Nosek, and this is Planet Potluck, a podcast sharing the stories of the joy, hope, and community people find in the climate fight. Today, we'll be talking to Jacqueline Lee Tam, a climate justice activist headed off to our first year of university this fall. So Jacqueline, how did we meet? Grace and I met um, in, a, in a really beautiful situation. It involved dancing, and it involved <laughs> conversations about climate justice uh, here at UBC. Um, so I, I was on a gap year. I am still on a gap year, and I was having a pretty, um, pretty crappy few months, to to say the least. And my friend had invited me to uh, UBC Common Energy and 350s. Uh, conversations on climate justice. I forget what the name of the event was, but it was essentially um, talking about climate justice and what that means. Uh, So I came and I had a good time and I was about to leave to go home and watch Grey's Anatomy on my couch as I did every single night in those few months. Um, When I saw Grace and our other friend Myra um, dancing. (laughs) Yeah, we had just found these dinky speakers and we had just decided like it was time to dance because whenever Myra and I are together... It's really, it's time to dance. And I picked up on those those vibes, and I loved it. And I went over, and I I said, I'm going to dance with you. <laughs> and so we all started dancing. And I think it was Ed Sheeran's Shape of You, and we were talking about... Um, yeah, <laughs> we played that many times. Yeah. Um, we were talking about how the lyrics were... Probably not the <laughs> the most uh, not the most feminist. And yeah, Jacqueline exactly. had said how she and her friends had kind of rebooted them and done a done a yeah, fabulous dance. Yeah, to we them choreographed at a feminist dance, taking out the lyrics but using the tune of it, uh, um, which was awesome. And yeah. so from that, we've kind of had a beautiful friendship out of Ed yeah. Sheeran. <laughs> well, actually, something I want to note about our friendship is that um, I was immediately like, okay, so I need to be friends with Grace and Myra, um, and I thought that they were like around my age. Um, <laughs> and then, and then I see on Facebook that Grace is um, releasing uh, a trilogy, and I'm like, okay, like if she's around my age, like, w- like whoa. I mean, regardless, whoa. But then I, I just thought, okay, like maybe there's, <laughs> maybe she has a few years on me. Um, and so I read her first book, um, and I just absolutely fell in love. I couldn't put it down, mm. um, and I, I became even more enamored by by this grace person who I didn't know too well. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, Jacqueline. That was really lovely to get your message about my book. So you've been a climate activist since you were 16, and you actually got a lot of media attention when you painted yourself to look like an oil spill at a protest against the Enbridge Northern Gateway Pipeline. You are quoted as saying, I wanted to make a public display of art showing that my generation will be cleaning up if pipeline projects continue. Can you take us through that decision? So that day I had just finished writing a Civics 11 exam at school and I looked at my phone and I saw that um, the Harper government had just approved uh, the Northern Gateway, um, Enbridge's Northern Gateway pipeline project. Um, And that's something that I had uh, really been hoping uh, that his government would cancel, even though it was highly, highly unlikely. Um, so I received that news and I went straight to the art room without thinking too much and just painted, just slathered on black paint, um, to my body all over. Um, and I made this sign that said, 
um, this is my future and I'm calling for a paradigm shift. And then I hopped on a bus and went downtown uh, to the protest, which was just outside CBC. Um, and and I stood there with my sign. And I, I really didn't think too much of it because I'd seen people uh, kind of uh, paint themselves in oil in, in a similar way at other protests. So I thought it was kind of just the average protest goer who would do that. <laughs> um, but uh, I think the Canadian press took my photo as well as some other reporters. And um, the photo got around quite a bit, which was, and sometimes I would find uh, petitions with my face on them and <laughs> in my email inbox. And yeah, it was pretty funny. Wow. And had anything kind of prepared you to take that leap that day to just go right to the art room and, and paint yourself? I was mad. Mm-hmm. It was It was frustration. It was heartbreak. It was worry for the future. Wow. That's powerful. And so you're still working on protesting pipelines and for climate justice. Uh, this summer, you co-authored a letter from the Prime Minister's Youth Council to Prime Minister Trudeau urging him to cancel his uh, decision to approve the Kinder Morgan pipeline. And the letter reads in part, We call on you to cancel the buyout of the Trans Mountain Pipeline project on the grounds that this project violates Indigenous rights, poses the threat of irreversible damage to British Columbia's coast, and brings the world many steps too close to global climate catastrophe. Again, why did you feel compelled to write this letter? The letter actually came out of a phone conversation with myself, um, my friend Masoma, who was on a previous cohort of the Prime Minister's Youth Council, um, our friend Forrest, uh, and Michelle. Um, and it, it was right after um, a rally that we, that Forrest, Michelle, um, Cedar, George Parker, and Amelia Boissonneau, uh, all of us had collaborated on um, putting together outside of MP Harry Fry's office uh, in downtown Vancouver. Um, and that was a protest um, calling on the MPs uh, to to urge Trudeau to cancel the buyout. And that was June 4th. So it was a national day of action coordinated by Lead Now. And those there were over 100 protests across the country. Um, so after that, we had all of this energy going, and I had scheduled a call with Misoma to talk about how we could uh, get the PMYC, the Prime Minister's Youth Council, uh, involved in um, the resistance to the Kinder Morgan buyout. Um, so on that phone call, we the idea of a letter came up, um, and that's kind of what got us started on that. And uh, we just wanted to make sure that in that letter we... Um, we reflected as many views, as many um, standpoints, and uh, recognized as many of the justice issues as we could um, in a letter that was somewhat concise. <laughs> <laughs> and what has the response been like to that letter? So we once we finished the letter, well, we got it edited by many of our friends, and we had it translated to, to French so it would be accessible to French-speaking Canada too. Um, and then we sent that to the Prime Minister's Youth Council. Um, 17 members uh, of past and present cohorts of the PMYC signed on to it. Um, and that was really amazing because that was a really bold decision on their part, um, risking, like using their platform, their prestigious uh, titles as PMYC members to speak out against the Prime Minister's decision on this. Uh, so I applaud them for, for their courage in that. Yeah. Um, and I know many other people are amazed by them too because we've got over 3,000 signatures um, on a petition that's uh, supporting the 17 members of the PMYC who signed the letter. 
Yeah, you and I have talked about this, but the bravery that it takes to get yourself into a position as a young person in kind of a hard scrabble world, you've you've really fought um, to get the position you're at and you care deeply about, I'm sure, your professional reputation. And then to stake that because you care so deeply and you kind of love the climate and you want to work on reconciliation. Uh, I, I've been so inspired by that courage. Totally. One part of the letter I found especially striking was a line pointing out the national rhetoric in Canada kind of wishing violence against protesters and asking Prime Minister Trudeau to speak out against that language and any escalation of violence. Can you talk about a bit more about that line? Yeah, so a couple months ago, uh, David Dodge, who's the former governor of the Bank of Canada, um, said that protesters um, will die um, protesting this pipeline. And yeah, the insinuation of violence, the suggestion that military forces will be used to remove, forcibly remove and harm protesters who are doing this to uh, out of the pure goodness of their hearts. And of course, it's not seen as as that by um, many people who disagree with protesters, but um, the the suggestion that violence can and will be used um, is something that, A, I think does not align with Canadian values um, of peace and security um, and cohesion and collaboration. Um, and B, is it's, it's a slap in the face to everyone who um, who cares about this issue because what protesters are doing is they're standing up for justice. There's absolutely no... Uh, the, the only reason why someone would show up at a protest or someone would refuse to leave the gates of Kinder Morgan is because they care so deeply about life in all its forms. That is a that's a really powerful way of reframing that I think often these people are called radicals or sometimes even eco terrorists and to kind of remind people that they are showing up out of just this deep love. Yeah, um, totally. And and in response to the um, narrative around and the uh, illustrating of protesters as radicals, to me that's that's totally backward. I think backwards. I think it's. It's radical to expand the fossil fuel industry um, when scientists agree that um, in order to uh, commit to, in order to reach our Paris Agreement uh, to the two degree threshold that's outlined there, and what our world is striving for is actually 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. So, in order to um, to sustain those goals, we cannot expand fossil fuel infrastructure. Mm. What's radical is the um, the blatant disregard to indigenous rights um, and how 85 uh, First Nations do not have mutual benefits agreements, um, while 43 do. And that said, 43 nations uh, who say yes to this pipeline, um, that like their yeses are only for themselves, and that doesn't mean that there's a yes for their neighbors. So major rerouting would need to happen if this was if this pipeline was ever going to have a chance at getting full consent. Um, and even at that, the idea of consent here has been so blurry um, and not 
consensual, uh, given that a lot of First Nations chiefs have openly um, acknowledged that they said yes and gave consent to this pipeline going through their lands because their hands were tied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so just to expand on that a bit, um, Canada is a signatory to the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, and this says that um, Indigenous peoples have to give free, prior, and informed consent for projects that will affect their territories. And as Jacqueline has mentioned, um, many nations have not given that consent to the Kinder Morgan pipeline. So what would you say to other young people out there kind of seeing things that rankle as injustice or worried about climate change but kind of feeling like they're they're not sure how to engage? Uh, Yeah, that's a really good question. I I just wish that that there could be this, like, sparkly magical dust that we could just sprinkle over everyone to to make everyone feel powerful because what it comes down to is our own perceptions of ourselves and what we're capable of doing um and oftentimes that that magical energy of feeling empowered comes from being around other people who feel empowered and who are empowered and who seek out opportunities and who read up on things that they care about so i think getting engaged getting educated um, and taking initiative to do that is a wonderful first step. Um, and building community around that and and sharing um, sharing those passions with other people is also um, really important in kind of placing yourself in the issue um, and surrounding yourself with people who also have energy around that and also want to organize around that. Um, and from there, I think that's where a lot of magic happens. Yeah, I I often say that one of the reasons I feel so engaged is I feel like I can do something about it. Mm -hmm. And it's not that far to go from can to should. Like if I can make the difference, then I have to. Yeah. So something I really love to do is take evening walks with my friends. And now that I live in Vancouver, I've been having this wonderful time trying to say hello to the ocean as many days as possible. And we were going on one of these walks Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago after our wonderful meeting over Ed Sheeran. And you described how grounding it felt to be part of the climate justice movement this summer. Can you talk about the connection you find in this work? So when I came home here to um, to Coast Salish Territories, um, I I became involved with uh, the Watch House Project. Um, and that's a project that is um, that. So there's a, a watch house, which is a, a traditional Coast Salish longhouse um, that's historically been used to watch over the enemy. So it's uh, the watch house is placed uh, at the gates of Kinder Morgan's uh, Burnaby Terminal, um, and it's it's a place. It's a spiritual place for um, community building and healing and trainings, um, and for people to just gather and work on the issues together, um, and. It was uh, requested by elders of the Tsleil-Waututh Nation. So Vancouver is located on Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish lands, and um, and the pipeline crosses these lands. So um, that said, this fight is very much Indigenous-led. Um, and so elders requested that a watch house be erected, and that happened, and there's a camp there um, for people to stay at the watch house um, and to really build community up there. So being part of that has been immensely grounding um, and a reminder that this that the fight for climate justice is grassroots it happens on the front lines and being there at the watch house because it's an indigenous uh, led place 
uh, I've I've learned so many teachings from my friends um, who who have been in ceremony, who um, who have so much wisdom to share, and they do so so openly. So I'm forever grateful to them. Wow, yeah, that's uh, I I've heard you talk about your time in the Watch House with such with such gratitude. Um, how does community in general help your climate work? Community is, it, it, it lies at the heart of, of climate work. I think of, of most work. When, when you feel connected, when you feel acknowledged, when you feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself, everything feels, um, everything feels right. Everything feels in place and you feel like you can actually achieve whatever you're trying to achieve, even if it's as crazy as uh, stopping a pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> and and then what gives you hope for this movement, this climate movement? People like you guys who, who despite the horrors of climate change um, and the the number of injustices that are layered into this issue, or into climate issues in general, people who are still so willing to smile through it and join hands and and laugh and dance and just be happy and, and channel that that gratitude and um, appreciation for this world. Yeah, people give me hope. Wow. Well, I'm blushing over here a little <laughs> bit, um, but that feeling is very mutual. And I, I heard someone today that we kind of have to let people love the world before we mm. ask them to save it. And That's beautiful. Yeah, it seems yeah. really topical right now that we I, we, I have the sense that we have to create a community that people want to be part of, that, totally. that they want to fight this, but then also having a reason to show up and having joy when they do show up. Mm-hmm. It can really just make the movement that much more powerful. Yeah. And then obviously, I mean, Ed Sheeran songs and yeah. feminist redos and oh, yeah. dancing. All <laughs> dancing cures everything. <laughs> <laughs> all key parts of the climate movement. Exactly. <laughs> That's how you meet all the best, all the best people. <laughs> climate dance parties. <laughs> I want to thank Jacqueline so much for taking the time to speak to me. I got so excited about our conversation and so caught up in making sure the tech was recording properly. I'm very new to podcasting that I didn't properly record my thank you. But it was a wonderful honor to get to speak to Jacqueline, and I cannot wait to see what she does next. And now I'll move to today's call to action. It's slightly more abstract than usual, but I was so inspired by Jacqueline and by the members of the Prime Minister's Youth Council who signed on to the open letter. Today's call to action is to be brave, to to step beyond your comfort zone for climate action. So many people, especially indigenous, racialized young people, are putting their bodies, their hearts, their lives on the line for climate justice. The rest of us need to step up. Do you have any kind of leadership role in faith communities, academic communities, companies, clubs, local governments? We need your courage more than ever. Maybe this means canvassing for climate justice in upcoming elections, even if the thought terrifies you or leading your community in taking a bold stance on climate, like divesting from fossil fuels, even if you might get pushback. I'll be trying to do it every day with you. This podcast is one way I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. Yes, I'm worried about the vitriol and the hate that will inevitably come my way. Yes, I'm worried this might hurt my career. 
But as I remind myself every time I get scared, I'm more worried about the fate of this beautiful planet and its inhabitants. And I'm moved every day by the incredible courage of those putting their bodies on the line for our future. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening to Planet Potluck. And remember, we're all in this together. You're listening to Planet Potluck, hosted by me, Grace Nosek. There's lots more to learn at planetpotluck.com.